read this scripture together. We are continuing with part three of a series called First Comes Love. You know the old rhyme. It says Jack and Jill are sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby and a baby carriage. But we know that today relationships rarely look like this. They don't happen this way often. Too often our relationships have a different starting line than love. It's not first comes love, it's first comes lust, or first comes selfishness, or pride, or first comes greed. Then we take whatever dysfunction flows out of that, we put a heart around it, slap a bow on it, and post it on Instagram, and then we're surprised when dysfunction happens, or it doesn't work out, or things turn toxic. We know that when we honor God first, when we put him first, God is love. And when we look to him first, everything that flows from there will be blessed, will be blessed. So here we go. We're in week three. We're honoring God in our relationships. And this is what Psalm 128, one through six says, the bold passage, read aloud with me. And it's going to start with a bold passage. Here we go. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Let's read. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And let's read. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. I'm going to read one of these verses again. It's going to be our our core verse for this morning. Verse 3. It says, Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. We're not going to talk about, about your spouse's juicy grapes or whatever today. That's a sermon for a different time. We're going to talk about this part right here. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. Let's pray. God, anoint your word to our hearts. Help us be good soil to receive it today. Let us receive it in our hearts, in our minds. Let us receive it with an attitude of surrender towards you, a welcoming attitude towards the truth. Lord, not resisting you, not trying to choke out your word in our hearts, but let us receive it, God, pre-deciding to say yes and be obedient to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I want to invite you to quickly get your journal out, quickly open your phone. As you take notes this morning, we were in Psalm 128, 1 through 6. But as you take notes this morning, I would like you to title this message, Preparing Your Children to Spread Their Wings. Preparing Your Children to Spread Their Wings. Um, Many of us find ourselves in a caregiving role in a child's life that is vital Um, But if that's not you today, if you're not a mom or dad, if you're not a single parent, step parent, grandparent, or foster parent, do not self-eliminate. Because when we talk about raising children, when we talk about nurturing kids, we are talking about things that apply to all of us, sonship, stewardship, boundaries, training, and God wants to speak to your heart today. We know parenting is an opportunity to forgive the generation behind us, they weren't perfect parents, to grow 
and develop our own health and disciplines in our generation, and then to build up the next generation. There's uh, bad news this morning for you. Your kids need a perfect parent, and it's not you, and it's not your spouse. The good news today is that we have a perfect parent for all of us. It's Jesus. It's our Father in heaven. Um, There's one perfect parent. It's not us. We celebrate you in the room that are caregivers. We want to come alongside you because it's not always easy to uh, nurture and be responsible for and raise up those precious darling baby angels in your home. It's not always easy. Um, I was reminded this weekend, my parents were with us uh, visiting from Pittsburgh, and my mom told me a story of when I was three years old. And I uh, had gone with her to the grocery store, and I had asked her, can I have some candy? And she said, no, not today. So um, in the car on the way home, I'm being in, in the station wagon, I'm being unusually quiet. And um, I, I get home, and I have my hands in my pockets, and I walk right inside the house, and I start walking up the steps. And my mom said, Tony, turn around. And so I turned around, and she says, take your hands out of your pockets. I take my hands out of my pockets, and they're filled with candy. (laughs) I wasn't smart enough to leave the candy in my pockets when I (laughs) took my hands out. And she she was incensed to bring a word back from First Wednesday prayer. She was so upset. And she said, uh, you're going to go back to the store, and you're going to go up to the manager, and you're going to give them the candy back, and you're going to tell them what you did, and you're going to apologize and say you're sorry. And I had just immediately started crying. And I said, I can't walk that far. I'm just little. And my mom started laughing in that moment, but she got me, put me in the car, drove back to the store. I had to go to the manager and apologize. I'm crying. I apologize to the manager, and my mom gives him a dollar or whatever it costs. It's not always easy to care give and to guide those precious darling baby angels. I liked what Pastor George said in the message last week when we were talking about separation and honoring God. He said, you know, you can control the situations and the environments that you place your kid in. You can, you can control the guidance and advice you give to your kid. You can control some things, but you cannot control their hearts. can't control their hearts. Today, I pray that you would get some uh, principles from God's Word that will help and will guide you. Um, I wanted to share for a moment before we jump into the Scripture. In my family, we're in a really exciting season, and many of you are, are aware of that and kind of, have kind of been with us on the journey. About four and a half years ago, in April, uh, Candace and I started on an adoption journey. Uh, Laycock kid number two in our family. And um, about 21 months in, it got disrupted, and we were adopting in one program, it closed to us. That was unforeseen. That created a lot of uh, hurt and a lot of loss, uh, a lot of confusion in my mind about how God had led us here and knowing we were going to get taken advantage of, and what does that speak to me about my theology, and realizing that in this life, God will allow us to be taken advantage of and allow us to experience hurt, but he won't leave us in it. And just learning to walk with God, that he was right there by our side throughout the whole experience. We pivoted into a new program, and here we are about two years later. We're 11 days out from going to take custody of a little girl that we're adopting. I have kind of a partial photo for you on the screen today. 
can't post her, uh, her face yet as we, uh, we aren't her, uh, officially her parents yet. But man, it's been an exciting journey. And I just thank you for your prayers and your support. Uh, Pastor George, thank you for, he's just kind of helped us believe in our dreams and facilitate those and guide us to it. Not everyone you work for will allow you to follow a dream that has you taken a few weeks off work and stuff like that. And um, just been incredible to have the support system in our lives. And as we enter into being a, a family of four, we're asking a lot of parenting questions. We're looking for a lot of help to be a girl mom and a girl dad in our lives. And, um, and as we go into God's Word today, I've been thinking about some of these things and uh, applying them to my heart. I pray today you get the information and then you're able to walk out application. The scripture we read said that the children are, as we fear the Lord, those who fear the Lord and follow his ways, this is what happens. So as we honor God, as we put him first, as first comes love, there's some things that flow out of that. And one says, your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. Anyone here like olives? Raise your hand if you like green olives. Raise your hand if you like black olives. And those of you that don't have hands up, God bless you. I don't like either. For me, they're both disgusting. They're all gross. But you know, I do love Olive Garden. All day, Olive Garden. For any fake Italians in the room like me, I'm like very, a little bit Italian, but Olive Garden's like right down my alley. The breadsticks, come on. Uh, but uh, this sermon, uh, this message is, uh, is going to bring out a little bit about olives and olive trees. For people who are olive obsessed, there's a trip you can take. Um, it's called the Senia Routes from Valencia to Catalonia in Spain. There's 27 towns on the journey, and as you drive it, people do this. It's called the Olive Tour. People that are obsessed with olives. As you drive through these 27 towns, there's olive trees that are thousands of years old that you can look at, and they're beautiful. Um, and so, uh, so I want to talk a little bit this morning about tending olive trees. Tending olive trees is a lot like parenting. They require long-term investment. You can't stay up the night before your child's 18th birthday and cram a decade worth of intentional conversations and cram in weekends that you were in church together, cram in daddy-daughter dates and mommy-son dates. You can't cram in campouts and projects. You cannot cram for the tests that they are going to face when they move out of your house. You have to be intentional throughout the years that God has placed them in your home to steward them. The days are long, but the years are short. You know, on your way home from the hospital or whatever birthing situation you choose. I know not everybody does hospital births now. Some people do, uh, you know, I, and I'm not going to judge you here. I've birthed zero children, but whatever your birthing situation is, a river birth or a tub birth or whatever weird thing you choose, as you, as you drive home from the hospital... You have 936 weeks till graduation. The days are long, but the years are short, and it moves quickly, and you need to be intentional in each of those seasons. Someday your child will become an adult and be faced with the tests of independence and temptation, selfishness, and immorality, and it won't come down to how they feel in the moment. It'll come down to their training, what they've learned, how they've been formed. Here's some notes on olive trees. They require long-term investment. Um, there are different varieties, about 500 different varieties with different purposes. Some are grown for landscape, some for oil, some for wood. Uh, it takes a long time 
to see fruitfulness from an olive tree. Some uh, don't bear fruit for seven years. Some don't become really productive for 15 years. Some start to hit their maximum yield and get really fruitful 100 years into their life. Olive trees grow. It's not uncommon for them to be 2,000 years old. There are some like the Vuvs tree in Greece or the Ad-Badawi tree in Bethlehem, they call it the great one, that are 5,000 years old. Some don't uh, start being productive until after years and years of careful care to develop a deep root system. They grow 20 to 30 feet tall with silver to gray leaves. Um, You have to water them once a week, but not dumping gallons of water on them. They need to be watered with a drip line or a mister hose. Uh, From the root zone, offshoots grow. So wherever the root of that main olive shoot is, offshoots will grow up around them. And if those offshoots, they're called suckers, if those suckers are not called at the soil line, if they're not trimmed off right at the soil line, then the tree will be a shrub. The only way for the tree to grow into a tree is for those offshoots to be cut off. Um, There are a couple enemies of olive trees. One is standing water. If an olive tree is planted in slow-to-drain soil, it will drown the tree. Another one is called scale. Scale are these little, little dots on the tree, really tiny uh, black dots, and they are actually insects, parasites, and what they do is they eat holes in the tree, and the holes get filled with mold, and the mold kills off the tree. Uh, there's another enemy of an olive tree. It's called olive knot. This is a disease that comes, and, and little round uh, balls start to form, on the leaf nodes, and then you have to remove that diseased tree. The only trees that are resistant to olive knot are healthy trees. Unhealthy, not strong trees will give in to olive knot right away. There's some things we can learn from tending an olive tree when it comes to parenting. If you're taking notes today, I'd like you to write this down. Number one, patience. Patience. God honoring parenting requires patience. It's really patienting is what good parenting is. And it will take patience. It will also reveal your impatience. Any parents in the room who have had moments with their children where they have become impatient? Anyone this morning? Sometimes the way other people parent reveals your impatience. (laughs) You want to ask somebody, um, are you going to say something to your kid or do you need some help speaking to your child right now? I think once we become parents, some of that judgment fades off a little bit. <laughs> um, long sowing, when you're in it for the long haul, when you have to work for 7 to 15 years before you see the first fruit come from that tree, long sowing requires long suffering, requires an extra amount of patience. Later, they will provide blessing. Shade will be provided, fruit will be provided, but right now they require work. You must plant the seed and tend it. Years later, we believe in the promise of God, they will bear fruit. You're in it for the long term. You're not day trading. The question is, can you be patient with yourself? Can you hang in there? Kids today in the United States are being plagued by parents who aren't committed for the long haul who are doing drive-by, swoop-in parenting that is insufficient. Impatience in parenting will always have one foot out the door when you need to stick 
around and understand we're in this to be long-suffering and long-sowing, that the fruit that we're hoping for, you're not going to see it in one season. You're not going to see it in 10 seasons. 15 seasons from now, you'll start to see it. 50 seasons from now, it'll really start to bear a maximum yield. But it's not, it's not quick work. Do not underestimate the importance of your parenting the solemn privilege and noble work that parenting is. The, the promise in verse 6 that we just read is that Israel will live in peace. Your parenting work can literally bring peace to an entire nation. Do not underestimate the power of your parenting. You're doing something that will lead to peace in your home, peace in their lives, peace in the future of your family, peace in your community, and peace in your country. You are making generational change and impact as you point your kids and grandkids to Jesus. In heaven, you will be celebrated for showing up in your home. In heaven, you will be celebrated for movie night. In heaven, you will be celebrated for getting next to that kid on the couch, for taking that kid out to Baskin-Robbins, for the intentional conversations you have, for the unseen work, stay-at-home parents, for the unnoticed investment. But you have to be reminded, parenting is a blessing. All blessings weigh a lot. They are not easy to carry. When parenting feels heavy, and of course it does, remind yourself, parenting is a blessing. It takes years before I'm going to see proof of concept. I'm not going to see it next week. And when you don't see it, you might want to give up. Hang in there. Have a vision. Believe. Remind yourself, this is a blessing. Blessings are heavy. This will bear fruit. Um, We need to catch sight of godly descendants that are going to follow God on a trail that we are blazing as parents. Good, good advice for parents today is to be like a grandparent. Parents, act like a grandparent. Relax. Be like a grandparent. Relax. May you see your children's children, the passage says. Catch sight of the godly descendants that are going to follow along on that trail you're blazing. You can parent badly when you're projecting the self-evaluation of how good your kids are doing in that season, how, how good or bad they're performing, your ego can get wrapped up in that, and then you project your self-evaluation onto your kids. You can warp your children by projecting your ego onto them in seasons where you're expecting a performance and pr- productivity that's going to come later. Be patient. I'm sorry. Your kid can get this grade at, on the report card or this grade on the report card. Grandparents are going to hang that report card up anyway. Grandparents are going to love that kid. Parent like a grandparent. See the long haul. Grandparents just love their kid for who they are. They're patient. Patience is the first thing we need. Second thing we need this morning to honor God in our parenting, in our investment, is intentionality. When you're parenting, you're doing two things. You're molding them, you're shaping them in in God's will, in the truth of God's word, but you're also unfolding the gifts and purposes that God has already placed in them, the, the work that God's already planned for them to do. You're not creating that, you are unfolding it layer by layer. You gotta pay attention. Because God has a, a plan and a purpose that's good for your kid. Believe that. Understand that and begin to 
unfold what he wants to do in your child. Sometimes we parent for the negatives, for the weaknesses, rather than focusing on their strengths. If your kid comes home with one A on the report card and a couple Bs and other letters, what was that A in? What was that? I, I know our tendency is to focus on, all right, here's, here's where you, you need to do this, do that. And the third thing, and that's great, but what are they excelling at? What are the giftings that God is revealing to you as you pay attention to your child? I want to give you uh, some practical things this morning. Parents, here's two lists. The first one uh, I'm going to give you, and the second one I'm going to have some help on. Here's your first list. Your role as a parent. What is your job description? There are four things that you are supposed to do and be as a parent. I have uh, talked these through with my son. So he knows, hey, what's my job as your dad? Four things. Four things. He can say them to you today if you see him in the hallway. Four things. Um, number one, it's to protect. My job is to protect you, keep you safe from harm, external and internal. Put boundaries and guardrails up to protect you even from your own internal dangers, your own sinful desires. Number two, it's to teach you how to support yourself, how to walk in the fear of the Lord, how to celebrate um, after you score a goal at the Parkville track, me and Saja like to walk and play soccer. And um, when, he, when he scores a goal, I've taught him how to put his shirt up over his head and run and slide. They need to learn these things. <laughs> it's your job to teach them. Third thing is to help them, to give you what you need to serve God and to succeed, to be successful in life. Like to uh, as your kids go through different seasons and they get a little older, you can start to ask them, what do you need from me today? What do you need from me to honor God, to be successful? Um, fourth thing is to love them, to enjoy them, to have fun with them, to be together. Whenever I have a parenting talk with my son, I attach my job description to it. Saj, why won't I let you ride your scooter past the corner sidewalk? Because your job is to protect me? Yep. And if you're out of sight, then I can't protect you. I can't see you. Um, uh, why, why do I ask you about the spelling words that you missed? Okay, because my job is to be your helper, to help you get them right, to help you grow in them. Um, there's a, a book that's coming out in January 2023 that we're going to bring some thoughts from in a moment. Uh, and it's called Getting It Right. It's by Sandra Stanley um, from North Point Church down in Georgia. And this goes through four seasons. Here's your, here's your four roles. Let's apply them differently in each season of your child's life to help us do that today. Pastor Joel, our Trinity Kids pastor, is coming to share with us. Welcome, Pastor Joel. Well, the four seasons that we saw from this book is... The first is from zero to five years old is the discipline season. The next is from five to 12 years old is the training season. The third season is the coaching season when your kids are 12 to 18. And the last is the friendship season when you're 18, when your kids are 18 and older. Now, Pastor Joel, you and Allison have two beautiful children. You've been uh, pastoring Trinity Kids and families for six years now, and um, and. In church, I don't know of anybody who loves kids and prays for kids and believes in your family like Joel Dorch, and we're so honored to have you leading our, our kids' ministry. I, um, I wanted to ask you, as you've seen kids struggle, as you've seen kids succeed, and you think about these four seasons of parenting, what can Trinity parents do in each of these seasons to help their kids grow? Yeah. While your kids are in the discipline season, it's hard. 
But you got to keep going. You got to keep disciplining them. And they need your consistency as a parent. Now, during the discipline years, we need you to have self-discipline as a parent. That's what your kids need during those discipline years of zero to five. You're teaching them boundaries. You're teaching them consequences. And they need you to be that consistent parent. Mm -hmm. When we get to the training years, five to 12, your kids need to start to gain understanding. You're answering their why questions during this season. Mm. You're, you're not just taking care of the what questions, but you're taking it a step further to the why questions. My, my why kid, do we need to clean our room? Comes yeah, up I've never heard that question in my house. Yeah. Why? Why, mom? Why, dad? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, why clean your room? Why do I have to take a shower and a bath? Mm. Like, that comes up all the time. Yeah. But the problem is, is that sometimes when we ask these questions, uh, we create this... This is what seems like a simple request. We create like a, a little monster with our kids. They start to uh, act out. They start to uh, call us, you know, different names. They start to uh, become this little monster, and they need discipline. Mm. They need consequences. They don't want to take a shower. They That's need right. to understand <laughs> why. <laughs> That's good. And, and we, we need to be the ones to bring them consequences and discipline. If we miss those moments, we're going to pay repercussions for it later on when mm. they get older. My, my two-year-old is already asking why, 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 why. She doesn't know why she's asking that question, but she's already asking that mm. why question. And when we get to the coaching years, these are from, from 12 to 18 years. This is the time where we're letting their actions play out. Mm. We're not coming and saving them. But we're letting them understand the, the principle of reaping and sowing during this season. And, and then we're, we're being a good coach. Mm. We're following up with them. We're asking questions and having conversations with our, with our teens. And a good coach is always observing. We're not, we're not staying back from our kids and letting them do whatever they want as teenagers. But we are there. We're observing. And we're helping course correct. We're giving input and feedback during this season. Some of those moments are tough when you're when you're not uh, violating that boundary of reaping and sowing, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, when the glass falls off the table, if you catch it every time and your kids don't learn the consequences of their action and then they can't negotiate reality when they're grown and they, they go to move out, it can be unpleasant watching them fail, watching them struggle. But you know what, I, what, I, what I've seen is in the unpleasant moments, it gives you the opportunity for your most powerful parenting for your most um, insightful and life-giving parenting in those struggle and failure moments. Yeah, don't miss those opportunities. And don't rob yeah. your kids from that, uh, that lesson, right? That's so good. And the last season is the friendship. This is when your kids are 18 and older. How many of you are in this season? Your kids are 18, they're out of the house. I'm a little bit jealous. God bless you. I'm not you. gonna lie, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> During this season, we wanna support them. We want to cheer them on. And we want to watch them soar. We want to be the biggest cheerleader for our adult children. Yeah. It's hard. I, I feel like it's hard if you don't do the first season. If you don't learn, teach your kids obedience during that discipline season. Obedience, you're not in control. And then uh, to move then into the understanding season, you're teaching them why. If you don't walk through those, then when you should be shifting into coaching, you can't because they haven't learned discipline yet. That's right. Yeah. And it just causes a lot of frustration mm -hmm. and conflict during those seasons if we're not, you know, being the right parent for the right season. Mm. We need, that's what we need to do as parents. Parent, 
in, in the season that we're supposed to be in. And I was reading about these olive trees this week. Um, it reminded me of the coaching season because one of the truths about olive trees as they grow, be, begin to grow more and more vertically, uh, and we think about our kids and their walk with God, their vertical access to the Father, if you, uh, it, you have to stake them so they grow the right direction with, with string and, and a stake, but if you stake them too tightly, it scars their trunk permanently. And I think about that coaching season. This is where we're allowing them a little bit of room to kind of go this way and go that way and experience the consequences of their actions so that later they can grow without us and we can experience friendship growing alongside them. That's amazing. Well, Joel, thank you so much. Thank you for your investment into kids and, uh, yeah, sharing this with us today. You know, Trinity Kids and Trinity Youth are putting out weekly parent cues on social spaces and an email, and we just want to help you be intentional. Not perfect, intentional. The goal is never for you to be that perfect parent, or it's just going to be kind of a goal we never hit. The goal is for you to become more and more intentional in your parenting. Um, Our ministries are designed to help you develop them. And this brings us into our third thought today, and this is the final point. You need to be patient. You need to be intentional. But you also need to transplant, to transplant your children, to prepare them for the heavenly garden that they are going to be in forever. Parenting with the ends in mind. God has placed them at your table to teach them how to get to his table. Think about that. The reason God's given you olive shoots, vigorous young olive trees around your table is to teach them how to get to his family table. In a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to come as we are. We're not going to come as perfect people. We're going to come with the one perfect son covering us. We're going to come under his blood. Um, We need to parent with the ends in mind. I didn't say the end in mind. A lot, of, a lot of times you'll hear that. You need to think about, okay, your kid's going to turn 18 in 986 weeks. So I'm going to back up and I'm going to teach them this and this and this. They're going to learn to do their own laundry. They're going to learn to manage their own budget. They're going to learn some work ethic. And, they're gonna, and, and we're preparing them for college years or for moving out or whatever. And sometimes we say parenting with the end in mind. But we need to parent with the ends in mind. Getting into college is one thing. Getting into heaven is another thing. And we need to be thinking about the end of their life when not only are they leaving our tent or our home, but they're leaving this earthly tent behind. And they're stepping into their future, their eternity with the Lord. Um, This is what Scripture says in Psalm 92, 12 and 13. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. The most important... I'm going to say it this way. I'm not going to say extracurricular. I'm say the most important thing for your children to be involved in outside of your home is the life of your church community. Not in addition to school. I'm saying the most important thing for your kids to be a part of is your church community. What is going to shape them for when they stand before the Lord? What's going to shape them? It's crucial. 
God's blessing rests on those who walk in his ways, who fear him. We anchor our hearts in the fear of the Lord and live a life that pleases him. The outcome is that his blessings will work itself out in our hearts, in our marriages, in our children. The greatest thing that you can do for your kids, those in the room that are married today, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to have a healthy marriage. Those of you that are raising kids, you're not married. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is to have healthy relationships where you're putting God first. What a privilege to be a single parent that starts dating. You get to show your kids how to date in a way that pleases God. The most important thing you can do for your kids is to have healthy relationships, a healthy marriage. And the most important thing you can do for your marriage and relationships is to have a healthy soul. How do you have a healthy soul? Got to be growing in God's garden to be transplanting yourself, rooting yourself in the community of faith, in the kingdom of God. Pray for your kids. If you don't have kids in the room, pray for your grandkids. If, if your kids are out of your house, pray for your grandkids. If you are, I don't have children today, pray for the kids of our church and the next generation. Pray for our campus ministries. Pray for Trinity Youth and Trinity Kids. Some of us, we're ready to fight for our kids, but we fight the wrong fights. If you wage war against the principal of your kid's school, but you won't take your stand against the principalities of evil that are standing against your kid, the devil's schemes, if you won't stand against those in prayer, you're fighting the wrong fights. You're parenting backwards. And I, I, uh, I want to begin to approach communion by saying this. You're, you're never going to be right with your kids until you're right with God, until you're right with your father. Your legacy should not be defined by how close your family is to you, but how close your family is to God. You know, we have endless examples of broken families in Scripture. And the, the first set of brothers on the planet we couldn't get through two brothers without somebody killing somebody else. We have endless example of broken families. We relate to the brokenness in our families when we aren't right with God. And dysfunction and sin plays out in our homes and in our relationships. That has touched each of our hearts. It's touched each of our relationships. What we want is to come before the Lord with repentance and humble hearts, then God, I want to root my family in you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord so that your blessings will start to flow out so that my, uh, my marriage relationship will be like a fruitful vine in my house so that my relationship with my kids will be like tending young, vigorous, strong olive plants around my table so that someday they'll be at your table. I want to work for the peace of my community, starting at home, starting by the Prince of Peace coming into my home. And I want to encourage you, establish disciplines in your house that allow the Prince of Peace to show up every day. Have family dinners that don't just talk about how was your day and how was your day, but get into devotions. Well, we tried family devotions once and we couldn't stick with it. It's too busy in the morning. Pop-tarts on the go and rushing out of the house. Try again. Don't give up on it. Well, we did family prayers, but it was just kind of awkward, and we stick with it. 
Stick with it. Allow the Prince of Peace to show up and form and unfold your kids. Mm. As we come to the end of this message, we come to the Lord's table as we are, not as we wish we were, but as we are. We recognize there's only one perfect parent, and it's not us. But he is our parent. We let that perfect Savior be our covering. It's all about the table of family, God's family table. When we acknowledge our shortcomings and our need for him, when we acknowledge that we have been enemies of God, walking with the wrath of God ready to fall on us, and when we put our faith that Jesus Christ came and he took the wrath of God for you and for me, when we place our faith in him that he rose again and he has new life for you and for me, the blood of his sacrifice becomes our covering. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Would you stand with me all over this place? Our online family, as we move into a communion moment, I want to invite you to prepare some elements right where you're at. We know that when we receive redemption, when we admit and we, uh, our sins, when we believe in Jesus and we choose to follow him, that the seal of the Holy Spirit gets placed on our hearts, that family crest. He helps us cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. He helps us have a connection and a relationship with our Heavenly Father beyond the preciousness and intimacy that any of us have had with our earthly fathers. Beyond that, we cry, Abba, Father. Mm. I love what happens. You know, Jesus... Jesus didn't just come to get victory over death, hell, and the grave to bring back the spoils of his victory to God that are meager. Well, God, I, I fought this great fight, but all I got was this and this and this. I'm sorry it wasn't, wasn't a, a very fruitful win. No. He brings all of the sons of glory, all of the souls of faithful people, all that would put their faith and trust in him. He brings us all before the Father and presents us to him. And God is so pleased and heaven goes crazy. And not only are we the spoils of that heavenly war, but we join in. Psalm 8, 2 says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. He's raised us up to be strong soldiers of the kingdom, to advance his gospel as it flows through our hearts. He paid the ultimate price to do that. Would you take communion elements in your hand this morning? As we hold the bread in our hands, we remember what Jesus offered up to redeem us. He offered up his earthly body With the experience of pain that was excruciating, to suffer and suffer and suffer, like Pastor George shared with us last week, and and during a death that people would beg for, just let it be over, let it be over, kill me, as they suffered on the cross. He endured that excruciating death for you and for me, gave his body for us. Thank you, God. Let's thank him for his sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. We take the bread together. Mm. Thank you for being pierced, God, that we could be whole. Mm.
He wanted to reconcile and restore our families. He wanted to reconcile and restore the family of God. So he spilled out his blood. And this cup, he said, is a new covenant, a symbol of my blood that was poured out for you. And what this blood has done is healed us, restored us. By his stripes, we are healed. That we could all be seated together in unity as one family around the table of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve it, God, but we receive it today. Let's drink of the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Would you lift up your own worship to him this morning? Thank you, God, for redeeming me and my sin, Lord. God, you saw my need and my inability. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in at just the right time, God, for revealing your gospel to me and the good news of the glory that you have in store for each of us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Church, we're going to honor him today. And as we worship the Lord today, I want to invite you from your lips to offer a prayer to the Lord for your family, for the relationships God's placed in your life, that he would help you tend some olive plants around you, and he would give you wisdom to walk through those different seasons, exercising your role as a parent or a caregiver or a supporter. As we do that, I believe the Lord is going to break some things open. He's going to release some chains and bring freedom to those that you've been praying for and your family, and he's going to help you in your insufficiencies. He's going to bring a touch of grace that's just going to fall on you right now that's going to help you to tend those plants that he's made you a steward over. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship him together today.